keep on kissing babies and hugging fat girls. Sell out full of suffering, suck attach, son. It's me, Austin. Oh, son of a bitch. What? It's me, Austin. It was me all along, Austin. And you teeth look like two tight too, Billy. And you book a match with me. That's right, Killing. Look at me. I'm a total package. I will rip him apart. I'm pissed now. Where to, Stephanie? <laughs> total. Marks with Dan St. Germain. All right. Welcome, everybody, to Toll F and Marks. I am the king of sad style, the man with the largest calves in the world, the St. Germain event. Joining me, as always, he is the essential of essential workers, Sergeant Slaughterhouse, Scotty Chaps. <laughs> you sounded like a yoga woman coming. Yeah, I, I just I'm trying to think of the, the noise that hurts the ears the most. I'll get it one day. <laughs> yeah, you'll figure it out. And as always, we got a zag attack. You let's get to this 10 count. Number one. The fiend has a face mask. How much is it, Dan? It is it is way less than I thought it would be. It's 13 dollars. No fucking way. Yep. No, you're thinking of a different face mask then. No, no, this is the face mask. This is the, I'm not talking about the replica. I'm talking about to stop the, the spread COVID. of COVID, you can wear this fiend face mask. Wow. The one, that, the one that Bray wore on Instagram, that was his own mask that he cut, right? Well, I'm looking at the WWE one right now. It's... Uh, Oh, it's $13, and they are out of stock. They won't be coming in stock until June 22nd. Fucking psychos. Like, who? <laughs> things, are, things are bad enough. You got to walk around with that on your face. <laughs> that's $13, which is also, that's a terrible number. <laughs> what that's would you a, do if you saw somebody come into your Dollar General wearing a fiend mask? I would chant, uh, boring. $13. Wow. I thought it would cost like your soul or something. You know? <laughs> something fun like that. Your firstborn. Or you could get the Glenn Jacobs one for $11. <laughs> so check it out. Number two. How are the Forgotten Sons heels? Uh, they've been doing, showing these vignettes on SmackDown, and I guess that they're trying to—I guess they're trying to build them up as heel, but it just sounds like dudes going through really bad PTSD from having to fight in the Persian Gulf. Well, it's like that's what—I just get Sons of Anarchy vibes from them, and it's like that was a show that was popular ten years ago, and that we realized wasn't very good five years ago <laughs> yeah like like i watch that show now and i'm like oh i just really miss the sopranos yeah they need uh they need motorcycles you think they need motorcycles right <laughs> it would improve the three, WWE mean, at, what no no continue continue no i so said number three wwe ads fans 
What did you think of Monday Night Raw's fan showing, Mr. Chapman? It was not a fan showing. <laughs> they put the NXT guys in plexiglass. It was so funny because there was just no chairs at all. And so it seemed like a, like a Bill DeMott workout or something. Like it, it, was, <laughs> it sounded like some shit Bill DeMott used to do to the guys. There's like a naked guy doing jumping jacks yeah. crying in the corner. Yeah, every, that's what they didn't tell you. Everybody standing at Raw uh, had an egg squeezed between their butt cheeks. And, <laughs> and it couldn't break the entire episode. <laughs> uh, so you want to meet No, Pat actually, Pat? look, I, I liked the noise. I liked the noise. Um, I, I, I didn't like that there wasn't chairs. WWE is so good at making things seem so unnatural. Um, <laughs> I do it, think having the audience was better. I didn't even mind the hockey plexiglass. The thing that really drove me nuts is that they didn't mute the crowd during the backstage interviews. Yeah, okay, that bothered me. But that's something where you just go, they'll figure that out, you know? Right. Um, the plexiglass bothers me because... It doesn't need to happen if everybody gets tested, but they're only taking temperatures. Um, and so it's like literally like they're preventing wrestlers from getting sick or something. Like there's something zombie-like to it. Yeah, it's, well, I think that it's also kind of depressing because like you look at the AEW crowds and, you know, whether or not they're just working us, but a lot of people look genuinely happy to be in the crowd. And with WWE, you just see like, like the lack of the push on their face. Yeah. Well, someone's got to eventually when we don't need this anymore, um, someone's got to go through one, right? Like that'll be, that'll be the fun gimmick. You throw oh, that'll happen. I think that'll happen at the next pay-per-view at Backlash. I'm, I think yeah. Drew will probably throw MVP through there or some shit. Yeah. Or like, yeah, Lashley's always good at stuff like that. Yeah. Number four, Dynamite or NXT, who won the night? Guys, before we get into this, we did review uh, Double or Nothing. It is on our Patreon. Long story short, we loved it. Uh, it it almost seems now too far away to talk about. Uh, but these uh, shows last night were a critical, I mean, not a critical, a rating success. Really great numbers for both shows, NXT and AEW. Uh, what did you think of them, Scott? And who do you think won? You know what? Okay, so, well, first off, Double or Nothing, that ending, you know, everybody's comparing it to, like, a Marvel movie, right? Infinity War, or whatever, blah, 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 blah. Endgame. Um, so, if that was Endgame or Infinity War, uh, Dynamite this week was, like, that after credit scene that uh, wasn't worth your time waiting there. <laughs> you're like, what the fuck? They're eating shawarma? <laughs> <laughs> That's an, look, they took a lot of big swings this week um and i've loved almost every episode of dynamite and this is i thought the first opening was really funny i just i think that the the whole the revival coming back as a f ftr was really overbooked they overthought that like crazy like when they all started attacking the butcher and the blade i just thought that was like well, I didn't mind that. I mean, I, I didn't like that Butcher and the Blade were out there at all. I do. I like him in white, though. I kind of like that look for him. Yeah, sure. I mean, it it wasn't really explained much, you know? Uh, I mean, well, at all. Uh, but yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, they have white clothes. I just, you know, it's a team we haven't seen in a while. And so maybe that's what they were going for. It's like, oh, we haven't seen these guys in a while. And 
So the furthest thing from your mind is somebody else is going to be there. Um, I was genuinely shocked. Like I was like, Oh wow, that they're here. That was cool to have that feeling. But yeah, again, it's just like no crowd and it's, it's the what ifs, you know? I think it's too, it's one of those things where like, like I, I think like the problem with the, Re- the revival, they do this all the time in shooting, right? They like bury, you know, they parried Vince's creative, which was like, don't get me wrong, with a hat on a hat, it probably would not have worked. But like for me, Vince's creative for them was more creative than what they came up with as far as their debut. Well, no, I mean, we don't know what they're doing. You know, they just, they've just arrived. That's true, that's true. Um. But yeah, what I found funny was they always seemed kind of, I, I don't think they're small guys at all, but in the WWE, they weren't like, you know, large men. And then they came out here and I was like, these guys are fucking big, dude. <laughs> Which says a lot about, you know, the size of, I, I guess, you know, the Bucks. Um, not that that matters, but yeah, I thought, I thought that was a, cute, a cool debut. I mean, there was a few really great moments if you look back on it there were more positives than negatives but the negatives were so fucking awful man that tyson segment um, well i mean the, the, the they had a couple funny jokes up front no that, you know, i the, think that was the worst part i i think the worst part really? of that segment you know i mean look I, I heard i've heard a couple of them from other comics like 10 years ago but like i thought for wrestling jokes they're pretty funny man i mean i i, li- I like tager uh reading the poem that was, that was kind of cute like oh this is actually a well-written poem that's kind of funny and he's also he's also his character is has benefited a lot from this stable for sure for sure but uh you know it just felt so empty it didn't it wasn't a pep rally they just had like gifts for each other and then Sammy did this thing where it was like, guys, we didn't win. But it was like, you guys thought you won? That's not what it was. We saw the segment in the beginning. Like I just thought it was, it didn't make sense. It really didn't make any sort of sense. It was just an excuse to get Tyson out there. And I think there's legitimately a hundred better ways to get Tyson out there in front of Jericho. Um, and then you have Tyson, you know, not taking it seriously, which was uncomfortable, but especially his fucking, specifically his one fucking dumb friend who like clearly created a wrestling character in his head right before they came out. And yeah, took, he, said, uh, he looked like the shittiest Vegas house DJ ever. Yeah, he had like raccoon eyes. He just put like yeah. makeup around his eyes and he wrote like a symbol on his shirt and he was acting stupid. If I was Jericho, I would have legitimately punched the fuck out of that guy. I was waiting for like- That a, is such a bad idea. He's in the ring with genuine killers. <laughs> you can't do that. You could punch his acting friend who's acting like an idiot. I don't want to fucking punch Henry Cejudo's friend and to see what fucking happens. That no. breaks my goddamn neck. Fuck that guy, man. That guy, I hate to be a cornet right now, but that guy fucking exposed the business big time. And I would have JBL'd his ass, dude. Just fucking laid him out right then and there. I would have roughed him up. But then I, I'm sitting there, I'm going, well, it was kind of like, you know, AEW has some really silly moments in it. And is this guy back there? And he, you know, he saw the stampede match or whatever. And he's like, oh, this is silly. And so he just, deci- they decided to be silly. Like, I, I bet well, you that's what Cornette's going to say, right? He's going to be like, what do you expect them to do? It's bullshit. But it's not. I love it. But it the was problem so with Tyson is like when Tyson is so, 
The problem with Tyson is he's so scary when he wants to be a threat. Like, like even like, like, like he goes past press conferences, even in interviews when he was like, you know, like uh, doing press for his one man show, he's very scary when he's pissed off. So like, when you see him working in a pissed off way, it just looks like a middle school play. It just has that like, like I'm gonna be as broad. Kiss my ass, Chris Jericho. Very silly. Now look, if if what he's saying is like, dude, I don't take you seriously. I mean, because Jericho's character is kind of a joke. He, the man is a joke, right? That's like the idea. Even when he fought Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom, you know, Tanahashi was making fun of his gut and stuff. Like he's part of his heel character is that he's. Um, He's a joke. He's like a fucking joke heel. He's, you know, and um, so for Tyson to not take him seriously, I guess is kind of acceptable, but it's just when it's the entire time and Jericho's being serious and then like Tyson's dipshit actor friend is getting in Jericho's face and it's like, what? I, I fucking hated it, man. And look, I get, but at the same time, I get it. It brings eyes to AEW. Three people texted me today that never text me. Well, the, uh, the ratings, it, it went up a lot. But you yeah. wonder, did they go up because of Tyson or did they go up because they had a great pay-per-view? And Saturday was a fucking terrific pay-per-view. It was I so mean, good. But again, Saturday was, you know, it ended so, uh, it was such a funny thing that happened uh, that, and we both agreed, I think we agreed on the Patreon, which you should all uh, sign up for, that uh, this week's episode had to, show like a more serious side to um to the inner circle you know i i think they should have came in genuinely pissed off and um i, I like that segment in the beginning of the show but then i think i don't know it, dude you know you you had omega and hangman in a in a hotel room they showed that during the commercial break and it's like why not have them get attacked somehow or so you know something i don't know give us a give us a serious moment where they get vengeance or, or they just beat the fuck out of orange Cassidy, which I thought was going to happen, you know? And I mean like really bloody him. Yeah. I mean, I think the Jericho, like historically, if you look at like, there was rumors, I think on WrestleMania 15 or 16, that there was going to be a triple H Tyson fight and it never materialized. Oh wow. Okay. I didn't know that. It was supposed to be, you know, a worry. It was, you know, probably similar to, I don't know, maybe some like MMA version of the Roddy Piper, Mr. T, a match that we will be rever reviewing on our Patreon this Monday. I had to watch it this past week. Holy fucking Ooh. shit, is it a chore? Ooh. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, they were turning to that. So I think in Jericho's mind, he's like, oh, I'm going to deliver on the thing that WWE always wanted to deliver on. I think that that's probably his rationale, but the Jericho character and the Mike Tyson character, the Mike Tyson character worked so well at WrestleMania 14 because there were moments where you're like, yeah, I know this is a work, but I feel like Stone Cold is really pissing him off right now and he's just going to go off script and beat the shit out of him. I never have that feeling with a Chris Jericho. Well, also, we know Tyson is like, you know, high now. You know? And Zen and totally fucking yeah, Zen. Zen and happy and you know, all, all that stuff. And back then he was a legitimate threat. I mean, he was in the news often, you know, so seems strange. But I will say this, uh I think uh yeah, that match is gonna happen at all out, maybe. That's like the rumor, which wow, that's a big fucking get. I mean Yeah, I mean look, it's like now. we're everything that we said criticism wise completely goes out the window if they get a huge buy rate. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, I will say, you know, AEW, uh, 
you know, mission accomplished on that part. Uh, personally, though, as someone watching a show, being a mark, uh, I liked NXT better, man. That cage match was so unbelievable. I loved how it was filmed. Great. Loved how the cage looked. Um, Kurt Angle may be my favorite guest referee in, like, the last 10 years. Well, you know what it is? Because he's, like, legit. So you're he's seeing legit. an Olympic guy who understands rules. And, yeah. and he's wearing, like, those gross shoes. You know, he's wearing, like, normal, like, yeah. lion's den shoes. Absolutely. Uh, and he comes off like a guy who refs. Like, I, I don't know. I, wrestling has a tendency of making referees like these little tiny guys. But, uh, you know, in the UFC and whatnot, like, they're, they're legitimate dudes because they have to be, you know? Yeah, I think, I think bring him in for the big matches for sure. Especially there's just something so cool when, like, he said, like, he's out at the end of the Thatcher match. It just seems yeah. so real. Yeah, and that, that tooth uh, that tooth gimmick was unbelievable. I loved that so much. Yeah, I mean, goddamn, I, I mean, we, we, it's gonna be, uh, it's gonna, we're gonna get to it on the countdown. Um, but I really hope WWE doesn't fuck Matt Riddle up on the main roster. Well, He's maybe so we'll find time. out. Yeah, maybe we'll find out uh, in a couple days. Yeah, I, I prefer NXT, although Dynamite. I mean, I think both are successful shows. One is more artistically successful. Yes, for sure. Number five, how do you make mid-card titles in WWE manner again? The reason I bring this up is we're in the middle of an intercontinental tournament, and Apollo Crews just won the United States Championship from Andrade, both of which don't seem that big of a deal. No, uh, I mean, everybody was fairly happy for Apollo Crews, though, right? I was. No, look, I'm happy for Apollo Crews, but... Like, what does that title mean? It's not. It's not. It's oh. no. It's not a condemnation of him as a as a Dude, wrestler. N- none of them mean anything, and it's uh, it's such a bummer. I mean, and and you ask this question, and I, I remember looking at it this morning and being like, "How do I even answer that? How do you make these titles important?" It's like, how do you how do you erase my my memories? Like, how do you <laughs> how do you reset something that has been so unimportant for? years man i mean since since i was like in middle school these titles haven't meant shit legitimately since since like 2002 none of these titles have mattered yeah yeah the only time it matters is when they give it to somebody like a zack Ryder and apollo cruz and they're like see we gave it to the underdog and then that- you know and then another heel kind of holds it for two years while jobbing to whoever the main roster champ is yeah i mean yeah the the truth is you need time and compelling um compelling storylines you need guys who want it um i think i think a unification i mean if you want a hot shot it you could have a double ladder match yeah unification title also you know just just as like uh as a refreshener for people that they should you know use that library they have and give us like moments in intercontinental you know championship history don't you know during this tournament i don't know like have interview guys um about how important it is and show it on the show shit like that number six undertaker last ride part three did you guys check this part out yeah i did it was uh it felt a little like filler felt a little like filler yeah uh i did like undertaker doing the whole media tour for this uh, and now the more and more I'm seeing of him, I'm like, oh, go go back to me thinking you're actually just some, you know, dead phenom. 
<laughs> it's too much for you? Yeah, he's like a bit of a sucker. Am I wrong for saying that? I mean, the guy's, you know, the guy's a, a Texas redneck with over $20 million in the bank who keeps coming back because uh, the big city promoter says the right riddle in his presence. Yeah, it's, you know, him being this age and accomplishing what he's accomplished and knowing that this documentary is about him trying to regain what he once had when in life, really, that's the last thing you should try to do, you know? Like, as a human, like, the goal of being a human is, like, you coming to an age where you realize you don't need this and that it was just a job. And um, it's a bummer, uh, these people who chase it forever, you know? Uh, yeah, there's a reason there's not a 10-part documentary series on Michael Jordan now. Yeah, yeah. It's just leave the memories alone. Well, I'm interested to see how it turns out. It definitely felt... I mean, the thing that I thought was kind of a cop-out with this is, I mean, they kind of let Michaels off the hook. Not off the hook, but... I mean, come on, man. It's like, oh, you know, it was a vacation. Like, yeah, I mean, the Saudi government paid you guys a shitload of money and, and you unretired for a night in a, in a match that was a disaster. A match that Michaels is probably the best part of it, but it was, you know, an utter fucking disaster. Yeah, I mean, that's, they let... all you know, everybody off the hook for that one. They're talking about Saudi Arabia shows, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's another reason I wasn't crazy about it. It's like to, to discuss that and to not go into that is just so fraudulent and um, uninteresting. Yeah, to not be like, yeah, we were getting, dude, we got paid so much, who gives a shit? Like, that's the documentary I want to see. Like, the four of them laughing about that match. Like, <laughs> At, at the pool, you know? Yeah, yeah, they're all, like, sitting there, like, yeah, like, in their new Teslas, you know? Yeah. Being like, yeah, 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 we killed the business. Well... Exactly, that's what I want to see. Like, just Sean being like, oh, no, I ruined... <laughs> I, I ruined my retirement match, you know? And, that, and then, dude, how great would it be then if cut Heel to him Sean on a hot air balloon? <laughs> if Heel Sean came back just to rest... Bear and Corbin and leave. Oh, I'd love oh, it. Terrific. Number seven, Matt Riddle is being called up to the main roster. Which brand should he land on? And how do you think this is going to work out for him? Um, so I would prefer to see him on Raw just because Heyman's there, even though Raw hasn't been spectacular and Heyman is there, you know, so I yeah. don't exactly know, you know what he's doing or thinking uh, right now. Um, I'm hearing the rumors SmackDown. I just don't know where to place him. And I think that's a bummer. Where do you put Matt Riddle and not ruin him? You'd have to put him with like the Daniel Bryans of the world. You know? You'd have to put him with Daniel Bryan, which in that case, you really, you know, you gotta, you gotta make one of the guys a clear heel. Yeah, so it uh apparently the first the first uh program is going to be Baron Corbin which that, that's is what I'm fine. saying. But, 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 but it's, it's not, not because Corbin fucking stinks and nobody likes watching his shit and so it's just like oh great I'm going to not give a fuck about what Matt Riddle's doing for the next month because he's with this guy. Uh number 8, who will be Seth Rollins' next disciple? Dude, I got a good one, and I think it's legit. All right, what is it? I have 
two options, okay? One is uh, Callisto. Callisto, Callisto. Callisto. Yeah. How cool would that be? That'd be great. Uh, At Ray's retirement, he turns on him. Yeah. And then, you know, like, I'm just thinking of the mask, you know, like having his mask somehow symbolize uh, this church of Rollins, that, that, that painted glass, whatever you call that glass that they have at churches. Um, Venetian glass. Yes. Venetian glass. Uh, I, I would love to see, uh, and, and, you know, again, like, you know, luchadors, like Mexicans love, uh, they love Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, and I just like that. I like, like, uh, Callisto holding like, like a little statue of uh, Seth's mother, <laughs> <laughs> having a statue of Seth's mom on his front lawn or something. But here's my legitimate suggestion, dude. Yeah. This has to fucking happen. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Lars Sullivan, dude. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. How cool would that be? What would Diego be? He's like, I, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Exactly. Also, erase history. Erase history. Erase history. Yes. You just have this, like, converted guy. I mean, you just have this big dummy with this, with this shitty cult. Like, you need that face to be a part of a cult. You need a big man for that cult. Yeah. Uh, he is the way to go. I love it. Lars yeah, Sullivan. I mean, he could be either in a cult or, like, selling jars of honey on the highway. But Dude, a face yes. like that. It is the way to go. Deliverance face. Lars Sullivan is the way to go. Jesus Christ. Terrifying. It's a good one, right? All right, number nine, Ryder and Dawkins on Talk is Jericho. You guys get a chance to listen? I did, man. I really liked it. Uh, I loved it. It was the opposite of a Scorching Burn interview. It was very fair the whole time. Yeah, and they, they – they love wrestling so much, which I, I, I haven't really followed them over the years. I don't listen to their, uh, their podcast or any of that stuff. But um, damn, do they love pro wrestling, and you forget how long they were involved with the company, how young they were when they started. And uh, they're kind of marks, which is cool, you know? Like, they're, they're collectors, and they, they, they're really excited about the business. It, it made me excited about where they were going, because honestly, I wasn't. I didn't... I, they got fired, and I was like, that sucks because these guys lost their jobs. But I wasn't invested in seeing them in AEW or seeing them in New Japan. And it definitely made me root for them and want to see them somewhere because – Well, it made, made me realize how invaluable they would be to AEW right now when they're trying to get those fucking action figures off the ground. Well, yeah, that. And also, you know, now that Cody has this, like, invitational and – um well, it's not quite an invitational yet. Uh, you know, Jungle Boy won the opportunity to to fight for it. But I would love, you know, Cody was talking about how anybody in the world can come challenge for this. And I would love to see unsigned guys show up and they just have like one-offs. And I think someday, that's the way you make it different. Yeah, for sure. exactly. You legitimately have like independent guys we love, you know. you you, Dude, I want David Starr to somehow wrestle for that company so bad. And, and that would be a really cool place to throw him in it where it's like David isn't signed with us. He actually doesn't believe in quite what we're doing, you know? Um, yeah, I'd love to watch that. Yeah, but, that, but then that's also a way to, you know, throw in a Ryder or a Hawkins without fully – I mean, Ryder is going to get a contract, uh, and 
if fucking Peter Avalon is there and all those dudes, uh, Hawkins has every right to be there, you know? So, yeah, it's a question of, like, how much money he'd be willing to yeah, work for. Exactly. I mean, you know, to just, you know, to just, like, you know, to get paid. I, you know, if I'm a guy who's been a, for, if I'm a former WWF Tag Team Championship, you know, getting paid scale to, like, make small talk with Big Swole in the audience doesn't seem that fucking... Yeah appealing to me you know that's true and Ryder uh Ryder has a great story about uh Survivor Series at Madison Square Garden oh with Triple uh, H with the hair yeah which is a good one so listen to it it's good as a man who dyes his hair in ridiculous colors you took personal offense to that wow I thought this came off natural no it was good it was good I like it thank you number 10 I watched Impact this week. Is this a problem for my marriage? <laughs> Wait, here's the real question. Did you enjoy Impact this week? I definitely enjoyed aspects of it. <laughs> Dude, Impact has... a good worker. Okay, Impact has low-key been very good for like two years. It's been not very... It's been good for two it's years. It's been good. It's definitely yes. been... It's kind of been like what NXT is now. Yes, yes. Not as good, not as good, but like, you know, Stone's... But it does have its moments where it is, and it does have its moments where it's sometimes better, occasionally, very, you know, occasional. Dude, if, uh, if I'm AEW and I want to make Moxley champ, I want to put all my money into Sammy Callahan. Think about how fucking great that feud would be. Yeah, yeah, I like Callahan. I'm not, I'm not, you know, crazy about him, but I, I like him enough. But for Mox? Um, come on. Oh, for sure, for sure. Uh, he... The truth, though, is TNA was great for, like, a lot... You know, TNA gets shit all the time, constantly. The Dixie Carter years were weird, but those fucking Jarrett years, man... I used to come home from school, and I remember they would show TNA at, like, 4 p.m. on, like, some some random sports network. I don't even know what it was. And you would see AJ, when AJ, in my opinion, was, like, the fucking best wrestler in the world. Like... When we talk about AJ being the best wrestler in the world, I think we're referencing those TNA days. Um, I think we're. Re- I think it's like that. That T. I think it was like TNA to New Japan to Ring of Honor. I don't know. I feel like it was the Indies after TNA more so, but yeah. But I, dude, Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, but even before Joe, I, I mean, incredible, incredible, incredible talent. Petey Williams, Chris Saban, and Alex Shelley. Yeah. These are guys who, unfortunately didn't exist like they you know existed in this chunk of time where wwe was king and nothing could come close and like if if aw had those guys when those guys were what they were in tna mm-hmm. holy shit they, they were the best wrestlers in the fucking world like they're the reason that osprey exists and stuff i love that shit so much man and so like when people shit on tna i go i don't know that that's some of the best wrestling i've ever seen is TNA at its peak. They had some great stuff. I mean, they also had, like, they had Joe and Angle at their absolute peaks together. Man, when Angle debuted and Christian, all that shit was good, and Jeff Hardy, and then it started getting shitty. Uh, Jeff Hardy did that Willow shit. It was a little little, little odd. Sting was never, I I never liked Sting there, but um, there were some big highlights, man. I loved that shit. Okay, so TNA made me want to be a professional wrestler. I remember watching it going, yeah. like, I would love to do that. Because they treated it like, like a really cool skill. And it was at a time where WWE wasn't really doing that. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, there, there's a lot to like about it. So is my marriage but, okay? But, yeah, no, no, it's not. That's too much <laughs> wrestling. Dude, I would watch TNA. It's too much, man. I can't watch TNA and NWA and... That's the problem is I'm watching now, I'm watching, I'm watching Raw, I'm watching SmackDown, I'm watching NXT, AEW, New Japan. I have the Ring of Honor app, TNA. It's just too much. Yeah, now we, you know, we have these Patreon episodes where we're watching old stuff and we're watching, you know, random things that we weren't typically watching. And that's uh, a yeah, lot. By, the, by the way, um, this, this week's Patreon, you're getting two episodes. You're getting the episode that you were supposed to get last week where we review some of the worst Meltzer rated matches. And, and I watched all these matches and man, it is just, it is cataclysmic failures. And it's going to be but a lot. It still is an additional episode because we did release an episode this week. It just wasn't the episode we said was happening. And right. So- we did. We were, we reviewed Double or Nothing, which was a blast. And one of the things that I'm wondering, I don't know if, Scott, you're wondering too, next weekend is in your house. So this Saturday, uh, we're recording two episodes for Patreon. We know we're dropping on Monday. But, uh, you know, the next weekend is in your house. Do you want us to review in your house in a detailed review? And then the weekend after that is Backlash. Is that something you – did you like that episode? Do you want us to go, like, every time there's a pay-per-view that weekend, that's AEWWE, WWE, we review that? Or would you like us yeah. to go – you know, more of a rebook it how we had in our first Patreon episode. Let us know. For sure, let us know. Well, guys, in addition to the 10 count, we've got a extra surprise for you today. Here is our interview with Dark Side of the Ring co-creator Evan Husney. Check it out. Guys, we are so excited. The co-creator of Dark Side of the Ring, Evan Husney, everybody. How's it going, buddy? Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. Thank, thanks for going on, and, and congratulations. The highest-rated Vice show in history. Thank you. Yeah, it's been a crazy uh, crazy week, crazy couple of weeks, actually, just in terms of the response from the show and finishing it all up. It's been like a blur the last like year of our lives. It's been insane. Yeah, I, I imagine. I mean, I don't know what the number one Vice program was before this. Probably like... People who think they're vampires that smoke weed. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Dark Side of the Ring season one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into it. Uh, obviously, that's your heel turn. The uh, Owen Hart episode I thought was absolutely tremendous. Did you, did you think this T-shirt campaign would be so successful? Apparently, it's the highest selling pro wrestling tee on pro wrestling creator pro wrestling tees.com yeah it's a pro wrestling tees yeah um yeah it was it was kind of this random thing like it just happened all at the same time sort of sort of serendipitously uh pro wrestling tees just reached out to us wanting to do dark side of the ring stuff and then like one thing kind of led to the other of like you know you know he was the guy over there uh, ryan over at pro wrestling tees was just saying that owen hart stuff is the number one requested shirts uh that he's that he's had there so I basically just said, well, let me ask Martha and see if she'd have interest. And, 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 and she did. And, um, and so just, yeah, we were able to put it together like days before it premiered. And um, it was amazing. Just like the response that people had to it. I think it was really special. Have you, um, I, I thought the episode was so fantastic. And it's, um, you look at a lot of these guys' kids, you know, like the Von Eriks, which you guys chronicled in the first season, Ryan Pillman's son, date. David Benoit, and then you look at Owen, uh, Owen and Martha not wanting their kids to be well. It was Martha, I guess we didn't know with Owen. Martha not wanting her kids to be 
part of the business. And you look at how Oge turned out and you're like, yeah, I guess she probably made the right decision. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, Oge is, uh, you know, he, he's an incredibly smart guy. He's awesome. Super cool dude to hang out with and um, super smart. Like he's on track to become, you know, uh, like a human rights uh, attorney or something. And he's gone through several different programs of education. I think he's going to school in London. So yeah, he's, he's, he's doing pretty good. God bless him, man. Yeah, I thought he came off tremendous. I thought Owen came off. I mean, uh, Martha came off tremendous. I mean, I thought Owen came off tremendous too. Have you gotten any pushback from uh, people in that story after this came out? Uh, not in that story, no. Um, you know, the only, the only sort of pushback, um, if you could call it that, that we got was, you know, WWE's attorney, uh, Jerry McDivitt, uh kind of had a... <laughs> Probably one of the world's worst PR moves when he when he basically yeah I saw him. that I was yeah. like I don't know what the fuck I was thinking yeah like she was never interested like like Martha was never interested in wanting to figure out what happened that night which is which is you know of course that quote dropped the day before the episode dropped and then it's hard to you know imagine that uh, you know that holds any water once you see in the episode that she took her you know she went up to the catwalk to you know retrace Owen's final steps to see exactly what you know he. He must have gone through in those final moments and it's just yeah if anyone tried to get to the bottom of it i think it was her absolutely like a detective it was really wild to see her turn into this like uh you know this mystery so it, it turned into a mystery somehow for me that was such a compelling episode um yeah yeah and obviously you know you're limited by the 44 minute runtime on the show but you know because there's a lot more to get into in terms of just the, the like the like procedural step-by-step -step investigation uh, that her and her legal team did on this story is it's like remarkable in terms of what they the different people they talked to the different testimonies and affidavits they got and you know speaking to a lot of people in the industry on like you know and essentially it's like anyone in the business who is in rigging um, you know there was nobody out there in that universe who could possibly co-sign the way in which that stunt was handled. Uh, you know, so she went to a lot of great lengths in order to, you know, prove her case. Um, and yeah, and just to, just to have the strength to kind of navigate through that, you know, amidst everything else is, uh, is, is just incredible. No, I think all three of us were there at, I think it was the last year's Double or Nothing, where Mark Henry gave that like weird promo to, and I like Mark Henry a lot, but he's like, he, he does have a history of just kind of putting his foot in his mouth at the worst possible time. Uh, but yeah, he was like, he was like, you know, begging for like Martha, for Owen to be inducted. And I was like, what? It, it's not, <laughs> I don't think she's having a problem with him being inducted to a hall of fame. It's no, to no, the, no. It's to the hall of fame <laughs> that killed her husband. That is probably the yeah. one that she pushed back <clears throat> with. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like, that, that's kind of one of the more frustrating things is, you know, um is just sort of seeing how the wwe's narrative of kind of what happened that night and with the whole case and you're still seeing that today i mean with the fact that you know jerry mcdivitt kind of perpetrating that you know uh in his comments that she had no interest in finding out what happened she was just you know uh, um she was just upset about the you know owen's career choice you know in, in wrestling and wanted to take a shot at wrestling it's very kind of trumpian in that regard i feel like his comments were um and uh <clears throat> You know, and, and that's kind of the, the unfortunate thing, but I do think that because the WWE narrative of what happened, um, and I have to admit, even two years ago, 
for myself, you know, before I had made this project, I kind of was of the mindset, like, obviously it was a horrible tragedy, but I, I'd thought in my mind that it was what had happened that night was most likely a freak accident. And I think a lot of people, you know, that's kind of what their knowledge is of what happened. And so then for them to say, well, it's just a freak accident. How come she won't let him in the hall of fame? But then you kind of, you know, without really, um, I think paying really close attention to the dirt sheets at the time or like actually reading her book, do you, you know, before this episode come out or yeah, before this episode came out, would you really kind of understand what she went through and the negligence that went in it? So I think it's just like one of the main reasons we wanted to do this episode in the first place was to try and sort of change or to show people a different point of view in terms of what happened that night um, when it comes to the, you know, how fans perceive Owen's legacy, I guess. Yeah. Also, I think that there's, well, I think that there's an element with a lot of the wrestling tragedies that there's <laughs> there's some culpability within the wrestler's core, you know? Like, you know, like, it's like, hey, well, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, the business, <laughs> he took 80 painkillers because the business was so hard, but he still took 80 painkillers. That has nothing to do with Owen. Owen is the complete opposite end of that spectrum. It is a pure tragedy, you know? Yeah. Well, it was completely avoidable. That's the thing. I mean... You know, um, uh, I think that, you know, it, it kind of comes down to a confluence of at first they they had these pro riggers that, you know, were willing to do uh, the stunt. But it, it, it was, um, you know, quoted to be too expensive for what they were willing to pay. So then they sort of found somebody who would not only be more in line with the budget, but also somebody who was comfortable doing this kind of quick release idea. Um, and so and then, of course, the. Um, original guys who were reached out to were like, wait a minute, I'm kind of nervous about what you guys are about to do, you know, and then they kind of became part of the stunt. So it's a lot of these things kind of came into it. And I think if people obviously, you know, had not chinsed on it and, you know, properly conceived the stunt and made it so that Owen would have zero control over it and it would be essentially something very safe. And, but at the end of the day, even if it did go, even if it was safe and it was hundred percent, just like Jay, like like you know, Jr. told us in his interview, it wasn't going to get Owen's character over. It wasn't going to propel him in any sort of meaningful, creative way. So it just kind of was a a really throwaway thing and a completely unnecessary tragedy, you know, as well. And and we forget that time. Like Vince Russo's favorite show was Jerry fucking Springer, and I remember even in high school, like you know, because obviously I thought like Sable and Sonny were hot and I loved all the ads there. But there were a couple things even in high school that happened where I'm like, yeah, I don't know if this needs to be a storyline. <laughs> you know, like, totally. I don't know, like another, like, you know, you like banging a dude's wife on camera is going to really help get ratings at all. Yeah, my my favorite things about the Attitude Era are um, basically like the person, like they had some amazing personalities, great, unbelievable talent. You know, probably talent they'll won't will never be able to replicate again, like in a, in a mainstream way. Um, and but at the same time, also the energy of the crowd, um, I think is maybe the my like 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 the thing I miss the most. Like you go back to like a 1998 Raw and you watch it and you see everybody with all those signs in the crowd and just yeah. like it's just a completely different environment. It's almost like a Morton Downey Jr. Uh, set or something. Like people yeah. just like flipping out, you know, and it's never I, sitting, it's, never everybody sits now. It's it's uh it's <laughs> yeah. 
it was crazy. Like when they would start a show and like everyone's flipping out and like the pyros going off and stuff like that was just, it was just so well-produced, I think from that point of view. Um, but you know, one of the other really ill-conceived things about the Owen, the Owen incident that we didn't really have the runtime to get into, um, which is just, it's mind boggling. I don't know if you guys knew this, but <clears throat> the original plan for the stunt was actually to have Max mini, the little person yeah. wrestler attached to Owen as he was going down. Yeah, um, I knew this. I, I cannot imagine. Yeah. And somebody found on Twitter recently, there's a video that some, I think uh, someone translated of Max mini taught like on the, on, on the WWF's like, you know, uh, Spanish show they used to do. Uh, they like, a, it was like a four or five days later after the tragedy, uh, Max mini was interviewed and like was kind of commented on it and someone just translated it and circulated it on the wrestling Twitter verse, but just a crazy, crazy thing. And could have been such a larger tragedy too. And Jimmy Corderas, the referee too, is, um, extraordinarily lucky as well, you know, not to have been part of that tragedy too. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it seems like we're, yeah. I mean, there's so many different horrible ways that could have gone <laughs> yeah. and so many ways it didn't have to go. Exactly. Has, was, is there any topic that you guys won't touch? You're like, yeah, this is just too, this is too thorny and I don't think we can do this. Well, I mean, I'll be honest with you that there were times where I felt some of the episodes that we wound up doing, I felt originally were going to be too, too, uh, too controversial to, to touch. I don't think that there's anything necessarily that for me is off limits. I think the most important thing for me in terms of any of the stories that we want to tell in the future is that we just, I just want to feel like we have like the firsthand interview from like people who either were there or family members who are closest to these stories or people, you know, I would never want to get into a situation where it just becomes a talking head thing. And, you know, nobody who really is a part of that story is present in the episode. So um, that's the only thing that would be off limits to me is like if I wanted to do a particular episode and couldn't get access to the right people. Yeah, yeah you wouldn't want to just do like a self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior type video. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Have you uh, have you had any wrestlers, you know, approach you saying, hey, I know some things about some things. Can we talk? <laughs> yeah. Has that happened? Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, uh, like a lot of, you know, I think there's, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see the excitement of this show within the community. So, so there's times where I'll get DMs from certain wrestlers who are tip me off on stories or things, you know, and, and, you know, ever since the show started, we've been getting, you know, requests and people suggesting stories. So I've heard pretty much almost every possible story I think you could do for this show, um, which is awesome. You know, I, I, I love that. I love hearing what people want to see and, and even season two, the way we yeah. kind of approached it was well, wait till I pitch you uh, the whole a whole episode of Xbox shitting in people's bags. That should oh be the yeah, yeah, <laughs> please do that one. <laughs> I haven't I haven't heard, um, <coughs> but that's um, a ten part Netflix though. That's like a, <laughs> ten part you season can premiere. Do that in one episode. <laughs> it's really a shame, actually, to shift gears for a minute. It's actually a shame that we haven't gotten Sean Waltman on the show yet. There are a couple of people that. He's um, a great guy. I don't know if you know. Great hang, too. Great hang. Oh, guy. Yeah. yeah. And very I've, underrated as a worker, I thought, for years. Totally. 100%. I actually uh, met Sean uh, very briefly, and of course, his dog, at um, one of the star casts you know, we were all at. And um, 
just a, it seems like a really awesome dude. And like, and, and, oh, I actually remember it was in Vegas when we were all there. Uh, I, I talked to him in the green room and he had seen season one of the show and was really into it and stuff. So yeah, we definitely, I think if, 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 if all goes well in terms of moving ahead with season three, like, you know, Sean's definitely someone we have to get in there. There's actually a couple of people that Didn't we they, get, they must have given you guys like a fucking Chuck Lorre extension, right? I mean, how many goddamn episodes? If I was, if I was that network, I'd be like, here's a hundred episodes. <laughs> Try to walk you guys up for a lower rate than you're going to cost in two seasons. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's like, it's definitely interesting because, you know, it's right now we're kind of in the phase of, 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 you know, lawyers talking and getting deals made. And it's like, you know, there's, it's, it's not an easy show to make and no, um, it's a complicated show. And, you know, season one, there wasn't a lot of, I guess, enthusiasm behind it, you know, from, from the network standpoint, no one really kind of knew, I think what its potential really was. And so I think we've kind of gotten to these areas where we've proved ourselves here and then there. And I think now going into the third season, you know, um, like we approached season two kind of in a way where it was like, if we never do another season of this, uh, like of this show ever again, let's hit all the huge stories, you know, that's kind of what our thought process was. And mm -hmm. so now to kind of do a third one, like I would love to take it in a direction of like pushing farther, more of like the new Jacks and the Herb Abrams and those kind of stories. And uh, um, I think Herb is like, no, besides the Von Erics, that's probably my favorite episode of the whole series. Oh really? Oh, awesome. I love that I love episode. That episode. Yeah, that that that's a that's obvious. That's a personal personal that's favorite. That's gotta be your mine. favorite too. I, when I was watching that, I was like, man, they must have had fun doing this. Like, <laughs> shit, they had to dig through. Well, yes, and also like you know, so many of these stories that we cover on the show, we have you know <laughs> some knowledge. You know, like we have some real knowledge of them. Like like these stories going into it from being fans and you know shoot interviews and whatever. Mm -hmm. This story. I didn't know hardly anything about when, when we were going into it. So I kind of just threw myself into all the interviews, not really knowing having much research in front of me and just letting these guys talk and just kind of, it was, it was, it was the most fun I think I had from the interview standpoint. And then of course, I mean, you know, the reenactments on that were uh, a blast, you know, and we got to, we got to, we got to do a lot of really wild stuff. <laughs> Dude, the one thing I think you needed in that episode, you needed like, a t-shirt expert, a button-down t-shirt, because there's something that happens when a, when a guy who's overweight is on a ton of cocaine and tries to put himself in a suit. There's a certain <laughs> panic energy that comes from the whole body. Like, you'll see it. Like, like, I thought he was screaming at times, and I realized he was just talking. But because yeah. everything <laughs> yeah. was screaming. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah. What a, what a wild story. And also, like oddly emotional which i didn't expect like i thought this would just be one of those outrageous stories where you know we look at this guy the way he died it was so spectacularly insane and everything but then like everyone we talked to like this herb abrams touched all of these guys in such a profound people liked way him even, a lot. people loved him even though he like conned them and he like stole money from them and didn't pay them they still were like had a big smile on their face you know he made a big impression including McFoley, like on all these guys, you know, and, and I, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I have some pitches for you for next season. Please. Um, Linda McMahon's Senate campaign. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh my, come on. Season, season three opener. She, yeah. she lost, she lost to a guy who lied about being in Vietnam. 
Um, <laughs> Teddy Hart, a very different direction for the Hart family. Yep. North Korea. Oh, that's a, a definite. That's a definite, right? That's got to be. That's a it. definite. Definite. Yeah. Okay. I've already said that publicly. It is a uh, should, should we ink the deal? Um, that will probably be the first one I do. And wherever the fuck Undertaker gets his hair dye now, yeah, there's got to be yeah. some <laughs> BP oil story behind that shit. <laughs> oh my god, the last guy. Take it over. I'm a, I got to plug this in. Sorry. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, have you ever like, like um, you know, a current situation like currently going on that maybe you would you would work on, or or you much rather have it be. Like, do you think part of the reason people tune in is because it is stories from a time when we were all excited about wrestling? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, when I, when I started this show, I always, like when, when Jason Eisner, my partner in the show, when, when he and I first kind of put this thing together and, and we wanted to do it, it was like originally envisioned to kind of be these stories of the past. And yeah. because wrestling was so... Uh, more like, you know, guarded in the territory era. It was more of a veiled kind of thing. And we just love like the show being kind of about this kind of, you know, uh, wrestling fiction meets reality and blurred lines and that kind of thing. And we never would have thought that that type of thing would have happened again. Like that would have really, but I do think that there, like, I never, obviously nobody would have saw like this, you know, COVID-19 situation happening with wrestling. Like no one would have envisioned that back three years ago. So who knows? But I think for me, like my knee jerk reaction with the show is to kind of keep it into these stories of the past. Um, it kind of also plays into our aesthetic with the reenactments is kind of, you know, we kind of look at the kind of faded memory thing. So for us, I think we're just kind of more interested in telling stories of that era because it is so different than thankfully it's very different than it is now. Thankfully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, but there are still dark things that happen, of course. For sure. Yeah, now it's just like a bunch of guys passive-aggressively bitching about their spot over Xbox in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <clears throat> Is there more like if you could do uh, a fun side of the ring? <laughs> like, a, you know, like, is there a topic that isn't right for this show that you would still love to explore? Like one of the topics that me and Mike Lawrence, we, we always, we we'd always debated oh whether or not to do this, is that like, I never knew that Earthquake would oh, yeah. be... An American sumo, whatever, he fell in love with his translator and they got married. That's a crazy story. Yeah, he's always, yeah. No dark, no place in dark side of the ring, but a great <laughs> story. The only thing that's the dark side of that is how then he became the oddities guy, I guess, with wearing uh, like the Carmen shirt. Even before that, do you remember Dungeon yeah. of Doom? <laughs> oh, of course. Well, I like, oh, I like that, the aesthetic of those guys. But um, uh, the. Uh, you got really defensive on that you just like shut well, it down immediately <laughs> i like look I, I like the shark thing let's move on let's move on i like the shark thing the oddities thing ugh, i don't know about that that's too like you know like like uh like fire hot cheeto like xbox you know culture for me. <laughs> but um uh no the, the whole john tenta thing you know mike lawrence has always always talked about it's, it is it is a beautiful story um and like you know he's such an amazing talent and i've always been a huge earthquake guy like even when i was a kid you know like and and one thing that's like sad today is like I, they just don't breed people like john tenta anymore like you're never we're never gonna see 
like wrestlers that look like dads or uncles anymore. And I kind of miss that, you know, like I want my wrestlers to look like dads and uncles again, not like reality TV show stars. Do you guys agree or not? Am I the only Oh no. Oh yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Okay. I agree. I'm I'm sorry. I gotta keep on. No, I mean, but then there's guys that, you know, I kind of roll my eyes when I see how I like the thing about guys like that, that were, they weren't sloppy. They were just like, massive i mean maybe that's because i was a child and i picture them as this big thing but they're huge huge. yes they're huge yeah and i feel like the uh the guys now who look like our uncles look like our uncles who are like 26 years old but somehow right they're just like our friends that are kind of gross yeah (laughs) crazy about that i I like an uncle that you know i want a big uncle there yeah, because because like they used to like <laughs> exactly like yeah, make wrestlers look like dads again. We should start that hat. Um, <laughs> but we we uh, it's like they, they, like they used to literally like find people like in grocery stores. Like man, you got or in bars is like bouncers. Yeah. Like like you would go out and you would find these guys who looked believable and looked threatening, menacing, and like to kill you in like a barroom confrontation, and then train them to wrestle. They weren't like guys who were like fans, you know, who have a passion for the business, which is great, you know, but mix it up a little bit. So if I started my own wrestling league, I, I'd be going out trying to find the dads first, then train them and then like, you know, break them in. And, it's just, and then it just becomes a job for them, you know? Yeah, but here, here's, here's uh, I'm going to play devil's advocate for both of you for a second. Is sure. that like, I've looked at, maybe this is just me, but have you looked at like, high school yearbooks that your parents were in and their generation and they all look older like they all yes, look they do. like they're in the mid 20s and like yes. everyone i think it's nutrition guys that's what i'm trying to say i think yeah, that, like, that's why at, these people look like that is yeah you look at like john tenta in like 1988 you know he's he's just huge and he's insane right. looking and he's like 28 <laughs> right i Who bet you he's most, 28 uh, has there been anyone that you were interviewing that you're like, I'm genuinely intimidated by this person? Like a Dave Schultz or a New Jack or? Well, New Jack, I was not when the camera was going. When the camera was going with New Jack, like I was having fun, you know, like, cause it was just such a great interview and he was just so entertaining to listen to. Um, and we got into a good rhythm, I felt like. Um, but yeah. definitely the before and the after, there was like no small talk. And like the mood, oh, the vibe yeah. is when I, when totally different. Vibe, the vibe is very. He has all I can describe is uh, what's it like being around New Jack? I'm like, I don't know. Have you ever been around someone you know has murdered people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. And like, it, it, and we also had like a major logistical snafu that day. Like it was the one day where we had like oh. a big amateur mistake that we made. And it's like the one interview that you don't want to fuck something up on. And we totally did. Um, we actually like booked this location for the interview that we thought was eight, like an eight minute walk from his house. So it'd be very convenient for him. And then the, the night before we realized it was an hour and a half drive from his house. <laughs> and I was like, no. And I just like pictured myself like getting like, you know, mass transited, like, no, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so we're like, you know, but we, we handled it and it was all cool. And he was cool with it, um, but, you know, it was just, yeah, he just wasn't someone you're not going to have any small talk with. Um, Nor you don't, was, I don't, like, like, I, I think in a couple years, like, 
you don't want the relationship with him when he gets arrested. You'd be like, but I'm friends with Evan. You don't want that relationship with him either. Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, but you know, he's, he's super like stoked on the episode. You know, he's very happy with it, which is cool. And, you know, we, we, we messaged back and forth a couple of times and he, he talks to Jason a, a few times and, you know, he's not a bad guy to, to know, I, I would guess, you know, if you ever need new Jack for something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is, uh, I mean, look, the guy's got charisma to spare. Yes, totally. Um, David Schultz was awesome. I mean, like not like his gimmick at all. He was just a completely down to earth super chill super like kind of the guy almost who you had the sense of like he had really kind of figured out figured it out like his retirement like very zen like he was chill with everything he was cool with everything he was building shit he was working all night working with his hands very just really 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 cool dude uh, through and throughout um but i'm trying to think i mean definitely there's been times filming the show where things have gotten intense or hot or you know, or a, a money squabble here and there. I kind of know what it likes to be a to be a promoter now these days too. I don't envy any of the people who had to ever book or promote shows. Um, and <laughs> what, uh, what would be your dream get as far as a subject you'd like to do next season? Well, <clears throat> because we've talked because we're talking about the North Korea thing, um, I would just absolutely love if there's a way to get a Noki. You know yeah oh yeah wow like and i know that's a huge ask <laughs> you know but i like for me it's like the, the the whole story of of um you know his diplomatic relationship with north korea at the time and trying to promote the show as far as peace you know concerns and his relationship with the country and, and of course his history as just you know a japanese wrestling icon it just would be really cool to have him be in the show um, you know, uh, Ric Flair is another person that we've always wanted to have on the show. We tried to line it up during season one for the Von Eric episode, but he was actually, that was when all of his surgeries were happening. Um, so it just wasn't. Yeah. Didn't... Yeah. I remember, I remember that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me and Scott have fucking an entire novella of Ric Flair roast jokes that are never going to see the light of day. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Sorry. I, I totally. Oh, no, it's Okay. It. Yeah, I forgot. I, I I was bummed out about that. Um, and, it's okay. Uh, I got to I got to do a watch along for Ready to Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, to get Flair and to get Anoki for that episode in particular, I think would be pretty cool. Well, Anoki. I mean, who would it be? Like, who's the closest to Anoki that's still alive? That I guess. I don't even know where to start. I honestly wouldn't know yeah. where to start. Um, but I, I, I do, I think it would be cool to go to Japan um, for season three, if we could afford it, to do a couple stories or do one to two stories, just, you know, because it's such a, it's, it's such a huge part of the history of wrestling. And, you know, we've- And Meltzer will definitely like that episode the best. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It'll get six stars. All right. Well, Evan, thanks right. so much, man. I can't wait for the third season. Uh, the show's terrific. If you guys haven't seen it already, you can get it on YouTube. You can get it on Vice, uh, on Hulu, Vice, uh, Vice TV. I'm guessing. Um, yeah, you have a iTunes documentary. You guys are working on right now too, right? There's something else. I was checking out your IMDb. It was is it some New York fighting? I don't know. Oh, 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 yeah. That's a uh, a film that Jason uh, Jason Eisner and I have had in development forever. It's actually a uh, kind of like 
warriors style street vigilante film set in Queens, New York that we've wanted to make for a long time. Um, we're actually, we actually uh, fired off a few emails about it today. So who knows? You'll, you'll, uh, you'll never know. Maybe we'll shift gears entirely, but we definitely wanted to make that film. And, you know, um, at, at one point in time, we wanted to score the entire film with wrestler themes. That was kind of our idea because <laughs> no one's ever attempted that before. But um, anyway, yeah, I think there's a reason a, why. Yeah, I think it would work. Just like the New York, the like New York cityscape, like crumbling, and you just hear the Bam Bam Bigelow theme. <laughs> oh, so sick. Yeah, that would be great. Hey, I gotta yeah. ask you: is the, sure. is the cor- I know that there's some truth of the Cornette Russo feud, but do you think that they're both exa- exacerbating it a little bit for their no. respective business? Is it a work? A hundred percent, not a work. Um, so there's just a really funny thing I can tell you about it. Um, so uh, back during season one days, when we were a little bit more naive about the Cornette Russo feud, um, we were going to originally do the Brawl for All episode for season one. It was part of the lineup, but our, our episode order got shortened by the network. Um, so we started to film it during season one. And uh, I was at, and, and the whole idea behind it was to use that as the vehicle for the Cornette Russo feud, that episode, and not have it creep into the Montreal Screwjob episode. We actually put it in that episode because um, we didn't, we never thought we'd get a season two, <laughs> to be honest with you. Um, so uh, anyway, so we're filming the Brawl for All episode. I'm, I'm at Jim Cornette's house and um, uh, we, we wanted to see if we could actually orchestrate a sit down that we would film with the two of them. Like we wanted that to be like this is the this is the the, the resolution of the episode. It's going to culminate to a, a real sit down and like resolution. And uh, I just sat him down and I was in his house and I was like, hey, like you know, like come on, like you know, is this something we can do? Like let let's just do this, you know, or whatever. And then and then he like looked at me, completely like lucid, and was like, I I can't, I I can't. And I'm like and I'm like really why? And he's like. I, I made a promise to my wife that I can never be in the same room with him. I can never be in the same room as him ever, because if I am, I will black out and I will wake up in handcuffs, you know, and I'll have both of his eyeballs clutched into my, (laughs) you know, like totally like, you know, this is like a real, he was like a hundred percent like this can't happen because I will be in jail. I will be in prison. I'm sorry. It can't. I've made a promise to my wife. And it was all, and it was so funny because when we were doing like one of the, first off, let me just put over real quick. Um, I know we were in sign off mode, but um, Jim Cornette's wife, Stacy Cornette is incredible. Amazing. She's taken care of us so many times on the road and cooked us amazing food every time we stop off at Jim's house. She's amazing. And Can you imagine trying to sneak healthy shit into that motherfucker's meal every night? <laughs> like trying to like, <laughs> so like been, have a cheese actually, bar in the middle of a double quarter pounder and cheese. Well, let, let me just let me just say uh, to his defense, if you go back and you watch season one of with Jim Cornette, and then you look at season two, the man's lost. A considerable amount of weight between the two like 30 pounds yeah so he's doing something right but anyway so so she's so sweet she's so amazing and she she's like on her way to come bring us food and then you know she's coming from downstairs going upstairs into the attic and and she turns right around because she she's she starts hearing you know vince russo's name and she's like oh 
you know, and they takes the food and turns around. And she told us, yeah, I was about to bring you guys some food, but then I heard Jim going off about Russo again. So I turned the other direction, you know, <laughs> but no, it's, it's very real in that relationship. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah. but in, dude, yeah, thanks, yeah. thanks for coming on. Come on at any, uh, any point. Is there, where can we follow you? The show, just any plugs you got? Yeah, so you can follow me um, at Evan Husney on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow the show at Dark Side of the Ring on Instagram and at Dark Side of Ring on Twitter. And uh, we're just about to unload a bunch of uh, deleted scenes and random things, and oh, awesome. um, some more some more merchandise is coming. Uh, the soundtrack is coming out on vinyl, which is really cool. It's one of the cooler oh, things that's happened to me. Um, so that's a uh, uh, waxworksrecords.com. You can pre-order the double vinyl soundtrack and uh, new shirts, and hopefully like a big crazy merch announcement uh, we can make soon. But there's Benoit a Benoit shirts. Benoit shirts. <laughs> <laughs> what if they just, even if they say he was wrong? You know, if it's like <laughs> Benoit oh was wrong, God. that could work. <laughs> can you imagine a shirt that said Benoit was wrong? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no comment. Um, I understand what this is, Jerry. But all right, anyway, thanks so much, man. Thank you. Thank for you guys so on. much. Thank I you. Appreciate man. it. Congratulations again. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>